All right, as Andrew said, my name is Fred. I'm the lead pastor here, uh, and I'm so glad to have you joining us uh, today. Um, and here's, here's what I hope happens today. Um, I hope that you're able to leave today with more faith and trust in Jesus than you had walking in. Um, in particular, I hope that that happens in the area of rest that we're going to be talking about today. But before we go into our message, we're going to take a time and pray. And we're going to pray for some, some specific people, uh, but we're also going to pray uh, for um, just the flooding and stuff that's going on around here for, as, we, as we help people and as people are still experiencing some pretty devastating results uh, from the flooding. And so, so, so let's pray for those specific people first. Uh, school has started in some schools and is about to, to kick off in Buncombe County this week. And so we're going to pray for teachers and those associated with schools this week. And so what I'd like you to do is, is if you're here, uh, when I call, if you are associated with schools, I, I want you to stand up when I, when I say a specific area. Uh, and if you're watching online, I want you to give a little hands up. Uh, if you're watching online, if you're one of these. And so if you are a teacher, would you stand up? You're a teacher, yes. <laughs> Beth Coggins, I don't see you standing up yet. You're a teacher up there. There we go. Yeah, no, all the way, all the way. Yeah, 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 teachers, great, great. If you are support staff, administrator, school counselor, would you stand up? If you are a homeschool teacher, would you stand up? Because that means you are a teacher, administrator, counselor, support staff, and school board. If you're a part of the school board, go ahead and stand up too. All right, and so I want to pray for y'all because just like we pray for people going into camp ministry at the beginning of summer, you are going into the ministry field uh, as well. And because what you do is ministry. And so let me pray for y'all. Uh, and, um, uh, and I'm also going to pray for particularly for the people of Haywood County um, and, and others devastated by the floods. Let's pray. Jesus, um, you know, people debate about what should happen in public schools, and they'll do that all day long. But God, you specifically put your people in places of education uh, to not only teach them uh, how the world works, uh, but in, in many ways to point uh, their students to you. And in some schools, they're able to do that clearly and overtly and with, with boldness. And in other schools, uh, they do that uh, in ways that are, are, are less overt and, and less um, out in front, but yet they're there and they get to be ministers uh, to your kids and to your students. And so, God, thank you for these teachers. I pray for them, no matter where they're teaching, and, and the administrators and counselors and support staff and school board members, and, 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 and we pray for all of them, particularly this year as they're going into yet again another COVID year uh, and navigating all the things that that comes with it. And, God, I pray for them specifically that you give them extra grace extra patience, extra creativity this year, um, extra diligence, um, Father. In that, and, and then I also pray that they will have these great moments where you just shine a spotlight on some kids, where they are making strides and making improvements and where the, 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 the gears are clicking and, and they get it. And, and I know that that brings such joy to teachers and administrators' hearts. And sometimes it's so easy to overlook those moments. But God, I pray that you highlight them uh, because you're doing that. And so God, thank you for them. Thank you for the work that they do. 
In Christ's name I pray. Oh, oh, and we pray for the flood victims too, Lord. There's a lot going on around here. And you know about it and you're with them. Um, that you leave no one alone. And so, God, I pray for, for, for them to feel your presence. I pray for relief to get to those who need it. Um, and, and, and I pray that um, the flooding will stop, um, that, that mudslides won't happen, uh, and that people can begin to rebuild their lives again. Uh, Father, in all of this, to your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all. I appreciate that. Well, y'all, I want to tell you today, in, in our sermon today, we're going to get like real, real, all right? We're going to get real, real. And, and, and here's why, because we're going to talk about something that, that I struggle with, something that I believe you struggle with, something that I believe we all struggle with. And here's the deal. We struggle with it, like we, we fight against this every day, um, if not uh, different parts of the day in various levels throughout the day. Uh, and, and it's something that we all do. And here's the deal. It's even captured in this great story about Jesus and, and a great story about what Jesus was doing with his disciples. You see, they had just finished this busy day of ministry. It is actually one of the busiest days of ministry that Jesus had. And they were going from one village to another. And, and so they did what they did back then. And the easiest way oftentimes to get from one village to another was to hop in a boat and go from here to there. And so that's what they do. They hop in this boat and they start going from one place to another. But on the way, this storm blows up. Now, it's not like an afternoon storm like we have here, you know, those little afternoon little, little showers and stuff. Like, like the scriptures say, it was a ferocious storm that literally came out of nowhere. And so what happens with this storm is water starts filling the boat. Has anybody ever been in a boat when water starts coming in? Like I was a kid once and we had this, this canoe type thing. I'm not even sure it was a canoe, right? It was a, more of a thing that floated. Kind of, because when we got in it, like all of a sudden at the seams, water started coming in. And if you've ever been in a boat when water starts coming in, you kind of know what the disciples feel like. Now, add on top of that this ferocious, this ferocious storm. And the disciples did what I did and what you probably do is we start trying to keep the waves from coming in and get the water that's in there out, right? Like that's what they started doing. And they started doing everything they could to keep the waves from coming in and to get the water out. But here's the crazy part about this story, if you're familiar with it. Where was Jesus when this was happening? Now, give you a clue. He was in the boat, but where was he? Do you remember? Sound asleep. Remember, it was a busy day of ministry, and he was sound asleep. You see, in Mark 4.38, you don't have to turn there because this isn't going to be our text today, just, but it says this. It says, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, sound asleep while all this is going on. So he's in front of the boat, sound asleep. And and Mark even writes this. He says, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Can you imagine looking at Jesus and saying, don't you care? Because that's what they they did. And so, so I'm wondering, can you think of a time where you maybe wondered the same things that the disciples wondered? Right? Have you ever thought, Jesus, don't you care? Right? Now, this is the, this is the real, real part, right? Because we're in church, and we'd be like, no, 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 I know Jesus loves me. I know he's with me, right? And that's the right answer. That's what your head's telling you. But I want you to get real, real. With all the vulnerability that the gospel gives us, 
Have you ever thought, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that my child is rebelling? Don't you care that my spouse is having an affair again? Don't you, don't you care that I'm broke? Don't you care that I'm alone? Don't you care that my, my parents don't understand me? Don't you care that I don't have any real friends? Don't you care? Let me ask the question a different way. A different way to relate to the disciples. Do you ever feel like you're doing all the work and Jesus is sound asleep? Do you ever feel like you're the one trying to hold everything together and, 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 and Jesus doesn't seem to care or pay attention? Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like I'm doing all the work while Jesus just waits? Like Jesus just sits there. I'm trying to do what my parents want to do, but they still want more. I'm trying to find a job, but can't. I'm, 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 I'm trying to, I want to date somebody, but apparently nobody wants to date me. Have you ever felt like that? I'm trying to make friends, but gosh, it seems like nobody ever wants to be friends with me. And if so, then you know what it's like to feel like you're doing all the work and asking the question, where are you, Jesus? And if that describes you in some area of your life, then, then there's often this byproduct that accompanies that. When you feel like you're doing all the work while Jesus waits, there's a byproduct. And listen, I know this to be true because it's in me, and I think it's in you too. And today we're going to see how to resolve this tension and how Jesus gives us a very, type, a very particular type of rest, that Jesus gives us a rest from control. Right, Because in, our, in, our, in our, our hammock up here, we've been talking about the things that we kind of put in this hammock that make rest really hard, and, and today's is control, right? And so Jesus gives us rest from control. Now, here's what control, that control is that byproduct of feeling like you're doing all the work while Jesus is just sitting there waiting. Oftentimes the byproduct is I'm going to control. I'm going to, I'm going to control people. I'm going to control what I can. And here's what I mean when I say control. It means that we do the work of Jesus instead of letting Jesus do the work that only he can do. And as we go through this message, I'm going to talk about one particular area that I think is real easy for us to step into that area of control. But here's the deal. We're not going to stay in this part of the scripture with the story I just told of Jesus. We're going to go uh, back to the chapter we were in yesterday. Because what Paul does, I think Paul kind of takes this idea of the disciples and, 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 and this idea of control. And he expands on it just a little bit to give us something to think about and give us something to, to consider. And maybe a different way to think and, and, and something to believe. And like I said, we're going to be in the same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But last week we were at the end of it. This week we're going to be at the beginning of it. And so far in our series called Rest, we've been seeing this very special kind of rest. And it's different than a rest too, right? We've talked about taking a nap is a rest to refresh, right? And getting a good night's sleep is a rest to be able to, to go through your day. And those are great, and I love them. But what we've seen is that in Jesus, in the gospel, we get a very particular type of rest that's only available to those who are following Jesus. And it is a rest from instead of a rest to, right? It is a rest from, right? That Jesus offers this, this rest that's not found 
in any other place except his gospel, except the good news. That, that, that when we've seen when we accept Jesus' offer of salvation, when we believe that he in his sacrifice and resurrection paid the debt for our sin, offering us this, this good and right and, and, and ever-present relationship with God. That when Jesus is the bridge to our access, uh, the only bridge to, to, to God, we get this relationship with God, this ever-present, always relationship with God. And in that, he gives us a rest from doubt. Because that's where our doubt stems from. Our doubt stems from, is God with me? Right? And Jesus shows us that God is with us because if we are in Jesus, if God can leave Jesus, then he can leave us. And guess what? He never left Jesus. And so he can't leave us. Because the scriptures say that, that Christ is in us and we are in him. And so we get this rest from our doubt. And last week, we explored uh, how, how saying yes to Jesus moves us from living for the things that we can see to living from the things that we can't see, right? And we saw that our worth isn't based in our results, because of, because of the gospel. Because if Jesus is in us and, and, and we are in him, then that means that God approves of his son, which means he approves of us. And so we're not a failure. Even if you fail everything you attempt, you're not a failure. Because God has approved of you. And so in that, we get this rest from our performance that since Jesus is in us and God is pleased with us because he sees his son in us. And so we have this rest from performance. Well, today we're, Paul is going to talk about how we can rest from control. And what he's going to do is he's going to start with the most common forms of control that there is. Look at um, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 1 says this. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Now I want to explain this just a minute because... Uh, Paul uses the word ministry, and, and, and oftentimes when Paul or, or the scriptures use the word ministry, it's real easy for people that aren't in ministry to think that he's not talking about me, right? Because I don't, I, I'm not working for the church, I'm not on staff with the church, I don't have a ministry, and so Paul's going to use this context of ministry, and for him, uh, what that means is kind of summed up in, in chapter 3, right? Because he describes what his ministry is. And I'm just going to give you a, a quick couple of verses to see that. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, it says this. It says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient, right, in ourselves to, to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, Right? The God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the what? Of the Spirit. For the letter does what? Kills, but the Spirit gives life. And see, and that was Paul's context of ministry. His context of ministry was, was to proclaim the fact that in Jesus we have life. That life is, isn't found in obeying the rules of the Old Testament. It's found in, in living by faith in the one that those rules point to, and that is Jesus. And so his ministry was to point to Jesus and to tell people about Jesus and to say that life is found in this relationship with Jesus, not in this, in this life of obeying God's law, which is a big deal for Paul because he was really good at obeying God's law. And yet Jesus changed him. 
and his ministry started in that life change. And so, so, so that's what, what he does. His, he, this bold claim is that life is, with God is found not in obeying the law, but, but living by faith in Jesus. And so when we say yes to Jesus, we too have this very spirit of God in us that gives us life, right? And so what does Paul say about this ministry? And the rest of it, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, we talked about this word, these words, lose heart, last week, and how, and how it means to be worn out, which I think is so appropriate for all things COVID, isn't it? Anybody worn out? Here we are wearing masks again. I was in Texas this week around who knows who else. So I've been wearing a mask if I get close to people because, you know, you don't know. And it's like, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Anybody tired of walking into a store and being like, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? You know, like, like there's all these questions and it's so easy to get worn out. And, and in Paul's context, he's talking about even in ministry, even, even in taking this good news and sharing it with people, there is a temptation there to get worn out. And, and if you remember, we talked last week too that, that that word comes from two different words in Greek. And it comes from the words out of and then mode of thinking. And if you remember last week, we said what you think shapes what you do. Even the word repent that we use in church a lot means to change the way you think. And, and so in, in biblical terms, what you think is critically important. And, and, and it is true for Paul, just like it's true for us. And it's true for you and me that, that what we think shapes what we do. And, and so church, here's, here's a way to think about this, that the stories you tell yourself are the most important stories you tell. Right, The stories that bounce around in your head are the most important stories that you tell. And these stories bouncing around in your head either lead you to Jesus and letting him do the work that only he can do, or it leads you to think you've got to do the work while Jesus sits and waits and sleeps, that you have to do all the work of God without God. Well, let me tell you, we're going to see that there's one way of thinking that leads to rest, and there's another way of thinking that leads you to being completely worn out. And look at verse uh, chapter 4, verse 2, because what Paul's going to do is he's going to show us some ways to respond so that we don't get worn out, right? He's going to show us this better way. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. He says this, he says, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Now, the ESV, if you're using an ESV, uses the words disgraceful and underhanded. The NIV uses the word secret and shameful ways. And I kind of like the NIV translation a little bit better and, uh, because I think, I think in looking at the language, that, that idea of shameful is what, is what makes the big difference. And let me explain what I mean about translations. If you're new to the faith uh, and new to like, what, what's he mean different versions of the Bible? Like, like I, was, I was on a mission trip one time in Latvia and we got thrown in jail, which is a great story. I'll keep that part. I mean, it's not a big deal. We just didn't have the right visa. But, but we got thrown in jail, and there were these, these guys there from Kentucky. And, you know, we were in there for eight hours or so, and so we all had our Bibles and backpacks and stuff. And so I just kind of went off to a corner, and I was reading my Bible, and I underlined a part. And he walked by, and he's like, oh, you're scratching out the parts you don't like. And I was like, no, I'm just underlining the parts that I do. And he was like, oh, I didn't, 
didn't know you could do that. Yeah, so when we say different versions of the Bible, it doesn't mean that there's different stuff. It means that the original languages of the Bible were primarily Greek and, and Hebrew, that the Old Testament was in Hebrew, the New Testament was in Greek. And, and what happens is when you're dealing with ancient languages to put them into, ling, into English, those translation work can be very hard and very difficult and very rewarding. And when people are making translations, they do it for different reasons, like they do it for different readability, readability levels. The NIV is written on a 7th grade reading level. The ESV is written on an 11th grade reading level, which means there's different kind of vocabulary words that they can choose from. And so this work is hard, which is why it's really engaging sometimes to have different versions of the Bible out so you can see what these teams of translators and scholars, how they interpret the original Greek and Hebrew, at least as close as we can get to the original Greek and Hebrew. And listen, if you're a student and you love languages and you have an affinity for languages, take some Greek and Hebrew because the Bible opens up so much when you can look at those original words and see like what they mean for them uh, because we need a new wave of Bible translators too. And so maybe that, that could be you, right? So that's what I mean when I say that there's, that there's different translations and, and, and I, I like the NIV. I think it captures it a little bit better. But back to our passage, because you see, what Paul is letting us know is that there's something about being worn out, Right? There's something that when we're worn out, there's an often a way, a path to get us there. It may be even something that we do when we're already worn out. When we're doing all the work of Jesus instead of letting Jesus do the only work to do the work that only he can do. And one of those ways is we try and control the outcome by hiding, right? Secret and shameful ways, right? Because secrets can be a form of control. Secrets can be a form of, of if I tell you this about me, then you won't like me. So I'm not going to tell you this about me so that you can like me. But the problem with secrets is if you don't know the real me, you don't really like me. You just like the person that you think I am. Right now, there's a difference between secret and private. And that's why I like how the NIV captures it. It's because secret has this, this tagline of shame attached to it. It's the things that I'm ashamed of that I don't want to share. You see, we hide what we're ashamed of. And we hide what we don't want others to know. But can I give you this incredible gospel truth here? And it's this, that in Jesus, we have nothing to hide. Right? There's even another passage that Paul says. He says, no temptation has seized you except what's common. Right? There's nothing that you're struggling with that somebody else isn't also struggling with. And that's the problem with secrets because you feel like you're the only one. You're the only one who's thinking these things. You're the only one who's doing these things. And the fact of the matter is that is a lie from Satan to keep you right there in that secret place. Because when you confess, you begin to be healed. You see, Jesus has seen it all and he sees it all in you. And he loves you. And he likes you. You see, he can handle whatever you you feel like you need to hide. Now, private means just a few people know. right? Because let's be honest, there are some things that you don't need to stand up here and broadcast to everyone. Right? There are some things that, that if you're online, you don't need to make a comment about. Right? There are some things that don't need to be confessed to everyone 
but everything needs to be confessed to someone, right? Someone who also understands that in Jesus we have nothing to hide. Someone who will listen to you with grace and mercy. Someone who will give you a little bit of Jesus in the flesh, right? And there's power when we confess. There's power when we confess that so we can heal. And so we hide so we can control what people know. We we hide, and when we hide, we can get worn out. Look at, look at the rest of verse 2. He says, we refu- he also says that we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but, the, but by the open statement of truth, we would condemn ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, this word here, cunning, is an interesting word because it's the same word that Paul will later use to describe Satan. Right, that Satan was cunning. He's saying, listen, we're not doing that. Because what Satan did in the garden, Satan, Satan didn't come at Adam and Eve and say, hey, just so you know, you can stop obeying God and start obeying me. Right? That's not very cunning. What Satan did is he, is he, is he, is he walked into the garden, slithered into the garden, however you want to say it, and, 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 and he, he looked around, and he's like, man, there's a lot of good stuff here. There's a lot of good treat. Let me ask you a question. Did, did God say... You can't eat from any tree in the garden? And that one question started this discourse that led to sin. And Paul's saying, listen, we're not going to do that. We're going we're to declare the truth. And we're going to speak the truth. You see, this is what people do when they want to control and, and, and when, they, when they feel like they have to do the work of Jesus instead of letting Jesus do the work is they twist the truth. And they twist it just enough to where they can control the outcome. Right? It's the person who fudges the numbers just a little bit on the report. Right? I'm not lying. I'm just kind of rounding up. No, that's not truthful, right? It's the kid who gets in the car and tells his mom what a great day he had and what a, what, you know, how much fun he had at school and, 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 and all this stuff, but just kind of leaves out the part where he had to sit out at recess because he couldn't keep his mouth closed, right? And I know that because that kid was me. Right, y'all, and just kids that are watching, just so you know, um, I tried to forge my dad's name on a, a receipt because we have the same name. I'm a junior, right? Fred, Fred Baker is Fred Baker. Most teachers, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say all teachers can tell a fourth grader's handwriting from an adult's handwriting every single day, every single day. So it doesn't work. I practiced it. I practiced it lots. It still didn't work, right? They call the parents. And that's when the truth comes out, Right? But that's what, that's what people do to, 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 to control how others see them and how others respond is they twist the truth. You see, lies can be a form of control. Not just secrets, but lies can be a form of control. And these cunning lies, these, these half-truths can be a path that lead to control. And that path leaves you worn out. Here's the great thing about telling the truth. If you tell the truth, you know how many stories you tell? One. One, when you lie, you got to keep up with all the verbs. What did I tell this person? What did I tell this person? What did I tell this person? When you tell the truth, you've got one story to tell, and it's easy to remember. Right? 
When you have lots of versions that you got to tell, it can be exhausting. And then Paul gives this little commentary on ministry in general. He says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, because I think for Paul, this is the part that wore him out. Like the gospel changed his life, right? And, 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 and it says that God removed the scales from his eyes so he could see. And so I think it's easy for Paul to stand up and say, this is Jesus. Why don't you follow him? And people are like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And it's easy for him to be like, why do they not understand? Now, this is my speculation, but, but, but I think, I, think I, can, I can hear Paul's heart in this. And saying, guys, this is where I can get exhausted. This is where I can get worn out. But then he gives us the answer to this, that God has veiled it for the people that don't believe. He said, I don't even lose heart over this. And, and here's why. He said, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God said, for, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Like Paul is saying, listen, my job is to present the gospel. My job is not to, to change somebody's hearts. Paul understood that, 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 that the gospel isn't found in the deliverance of the gospel. It's not found in his being able to, to, to deliver an eloquent message. It's not found in, in his communication skills. That for a heart to change is dependent upon God. Upon God to do just like God did for him and to remove the scale from his eyes and to, and to help them to see that his role was to serve and his role is to speak. Y'all, um, I've been kind of out of the news because, like I said, I was in Texas doing, uh, helping my mom and stuff, and so we just didn't watch much news. Um, you know, but before I left, all the Taliban and Afghanistan and all that stuff, and, and, and I, I saw a friend of mine who's a pastor in D.C., and he said this great prayer, which I have clung on to, and that is, God, give them a Saul in their midst. A Saul who you turn to Paul. Because here's the deal. We've had terrorist armies in this world before. Paul was a part of this. Paul that wrote this was a part of that terrorist army. He killed people. He imprisoned them for believing in the name of Jesus. And yet God reached into that army and converted him. And through him saw many others just like him converted. And so as a, as a church, we can pray for that, that Taliban arm, army, for God to call his people to himself, even in the midst of that army. And then watch these little revivals pop up there. Because they're not beyond God's reach. You see, and, and, and Paul understands that. He understands that his job is to serve and to speak. And if you remember, uh, we've talked about this in Ezra and Nehemiah, that humility is knowing where you stop and God starts. And Paul had a very clear understanding that Paul is showing this humility in his ministry. And he's showing that his role is to serve and his role is to speak and teach the gospel. And it is God's job to change your heart. That's where he stops. God is the one who changes the heart. And so Paul knows that he can't change anyone's heart. He can't change the way someone thinks. He can't change the way someone believes. It is God who shines the light. It is God who removes the scale. And here's what control does. Control muddles all these things up. 
right? Control doesn't know where I stop and where God starts. Control thinks that God's not starting, so I've just got to take over and do the whole thing. And control ignores where we stop, and control goes full force into God's territory. Here's what control says. Control says, guess what? I can change you. It usually has a by golly after it, right? I can change you, which is why Paul says this next in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, but... We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to, what's that last word? Us. That the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Last week we inserted our name. Insert your name where it has the word us, right? but, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to Fred. Paul uses this illustration here and he talks about a jar of clay. And I've actually got one to show you. This this is probably a a, a version of what Paul had in mind. Uh, It is a a little lamp that they would use in in ancient biblical times. And what they would do is they'd put oil in this part right here and then have a wick coming out of this part. And it was like a a candle. It was like a lamp. And and what's interesting, if this is what Paul had in mind, whether it was this one or a bigger version, or, or, you know, the, the, the point is, yes, there's power here, right? There's oil. Oftentimes in Scripture, oil is associated with the Holy Spirit. And so there's power here. And there's light here. Jesus is the light of the world. But Paul's very clear to say, guess what? We're not the power and we're not the light. We're the jar. And the power and the light is in us, but it's not us. It is God. You see, that's where the power came from, that the power is in here and the power is showing through here, but we're the jar. And y'all, here's the deal about these jars of clay. They are so common. Like if you ever watched an archaeological site, when they come across stuff like this, they literally throw it in the pile because there's no inscriptions on it. They're so common. Y'all, I got this on Amazon on Tuesday. That's how common they are. And it was delivered on Wednesday. And if they're this common now, can you imagine how common they were back then? And Paul says, y'all, this is us. We are the jar of clay. And by God's mercy and grace, he puts his power in us, but it's not us. We're this common piece, I mean, honestly, of dried mud is what we are. If I drop this, it would shatter. Now, I'm not because I'm going to put it on my bookshelf because I think it's cool, but if I dropped it, it would shatter, right? The beauty of this is God doesn't drop us. He holds us in his hands. And we get to be the, the dispenser of that light. We get, to, we get to be the dispenser of that power. And Paul's point is that, that you and I are this jar of clay and the power belongs to God. And so church, here's what we do. We control things when we get these mixed up. We control when we forget that we're the jar of clay and we think that we're the power. And we control when we think Jesus is asleep and we've got to do the work that only he can do. We control when we think we can actually change the, the attitudes of someone, right? We, we control when we think we're the light. As parents, we discipline and train our kids, right? Because we don't want them acting like fools. 
right? We want them to know good from evil. We want them to know right from wrong. But here's the deal. A wise parent will tell you, yeah, I can modify my child's behavior, but I can't change their heart. I can make my sibling, my, I mean, I can make my children hug their sibling when they've had a fight, but I can't make them love their sibling or serve their sibling, Right? You see, we can teach our kids the Bible and explain the beauty of Jesus, but we can't make them see Jesus as their Savior. We can't make them receive the gospel. You see, only this comes from God. Y'all, only God changes a heart. Do you hear me on that? Only God changes a heart. And re-engage in our marriage ministry, there's this phrase we use called stay in your own circle. Because what we do is we say, okay, if you draw a circle around yourself, you have the ability to change everyone in the circle and that's it. In other words, you can't change your spouse. They're not in your circle. And so, so in re-engage, when somebody starts talking about their spouse, we're like, oh, no, 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 stay in your own circle. What's God doing in you? Right? Because it's so much easier to talk about what God's doing in somebody else, isn't it? No, 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 what's God doing in you? In you? When, we, when we hear someone talking about trying to change their spouse, we'll say, no, 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 stay in your circle. Stay in your circle, right? Y'all remember the disciples in the boat that I started off with? They're working frantically to keep the waves from coming in and the water that's in to, to, to get it out. They ask Jesus if he even cares. Do you know what Jesus does? Here's what Jesus does. He doesn't stand up and start emptying the water out with them. He stands up, he raises his hand, and he tells the storm to be quiet. And he calms the storm. Can you imagine? You're literally worn out from trying to keep the waves from coming in, from trying to get the water out, and Jesus just stands up and goes, hush. And all of a sudden, still in quiet waters. You do exactly what the disciples did. And they said, who is this guy? He can control the wind and the waves. It says they worshiped him. You see, we are the jars of clay. We aren't the power of God. And that's what Jesus is showing them. He's displaying the power of God. And the stuff that we think we have to control, the stuff that we think we have to do is literally a whisper to Jesus. Hush. And it'll calm. That's the power of God. Now, oftentimes, we have to flip that. We're the ones that have to wait while Jesus does the work. I don't know about y'all, but I don't like to wait. Do y'all like to wait? No. But yet, when we do, we get to see the power of God. We get to see the winds and the waves be still. So here's the question for you to consider is this, where am I trying to control? Where am I trying to do the work that only Jesus can do? Now listen, I know, because here's what's happening in my head right now. What's happening in my head right now is, yeah, 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 but. What about, I've still got to do this. I've still got to do this. Here's my question, do you? Do you? Do you still have to do that? You know, consider where are you trying to change someone instead of letting God change them? Where are you hiding a secret so that you can control how others see you? 
Where, where are you not believing and not speaking the truth? Church, let today be the day that we confess that. And if you need someone to confess that to, you can come up to me. Uh, we've got elders here. Matt's an elder. Josh is an elder. Jared's an elder. Uh, we've got prayer team people. Um, well, we did. They left with their kids. So, uh, but we've got, we've, got, we've got people, right? We've got people who would love to pray with you. Trish is on the prayer team, uh, so she can, she can pray with you. And if you're online, we've got prayer hosts there that can pray with you. And so, so today, in confessing our control, we can be healed from it. And so maybe the step for you today is to confess that. I'm going to leave you with this final verse from James. It says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Let's pray. Jesus, would you heal us? Would you make us a people that, that uh, don't try and control your world? That don't try and feel like we have to hold all things together, but we trust you to hold all things together because your word says that's your job. That you hold all things together. And so, Father, we trust you to do that. Help us to be a people that speak the truth. Help us to be a people that don't hide. Help us to be a people that wait. In Christ's name I pray, amen.